0: Thank you for staying with us. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. This is the commentary to Shavuot, or um, otherwise known by its English name, Pentecost. If you're following along with the written material, we're on the top of page 5, and we are going to talk about Shavuot, both in the time period of the Tanakh, as well as Shavuot in the book of Acts. We just got through discussing the timing issues of the counting of the Omer as it leads towards Shavuot, and the differences of opinion that existed in Yeshua's day between the starting or the beginning of the counting of the weeks. Does it begin as the Sadducees say on the morrow after the weekly Sabbath, that is to say on a Sunday, or does it begin as the Pharisees say on the morrow after the um, Festival uh, Sabbath, that is to say, uh, the first full day after after uh, after unleavened bread, and uh, we have made our decision. At least I have. I'm not sure if you've made your decision, but I've made my decision based on the evidence that um, uh, the counting of the Omer and the uh, Shavuot experience itself should begin after the morrow of the uh, Festival Sabbath. Thus, it does not always have to land on a Sunday. Let's now talk about, however, two significant scriptural Shavuots. And this next section bears that that name. Two significant scriptural Shavuots with a question mark after the statement. Are there two Shavuots? Are there indeed two Pentecosts in Scripture that we should be familiar with? Well, possibly, possibly not. Let's find out. Historically, if you'll recall, the rabbis figure that the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai occurred on this day, this Pentecost. Uh, That is, in the third month after Am Yisrael came out of Egypt. We're going to see a little later on um, how they put this calendar together. Now, in all reality, and I've heard Messianics state this very proudly, the Torah was given at Sinai on Shavuot, on Pentecost. And I've heard many Jewish people say this as well. However, I'm, um, I'm somewhat of a literalist. Uh, when I read the text, I like to know that the Torah tells me something exactly if I'm going to, um, if I'm going to make that claim. Which means, if I, if I were to pit... Peshat against Midrash, I'm always going to take the side of Peshat. I know people who would rather say, the text doesn't have to say something for it to be hinting at something, or and, and that hint to be accurate. However, God seems to major uh, in the majors and minor in the minors, and when he wants us to know the dates of things, he gives them to us. So actually, the exact date of this familiar encounter, uh, the giving of the Torah, recorded for us in the book of Exodus, chapters 19 and 20, is not explicitly stated, and I'll go on record as saying that. I'm going to stand by my statement there. I know I, I I'll run into disagreement. I have some friends who are messianics, some friends who are Christians, some friends who are who are Jews, non-messianics, and they're going to disagree with me. But that's okay. Show me in the text where it says that the Torah was given exactly on Shavuot, and I will rest. I I will change my view. But it doesn't say that, and therefore, it, it I'm I'm not going to state it explicitly as well. However. The chronological evidence is convincing, so it's safe to say that we assume that it was given on Shavuot. At any rate, the author of the book of Acts, Luke, he does testify of the precise timing of the festival of Shavuot, and he specifically relates this festival to the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh, that is, the Holy Spirit, unto the believers gathered there in Jerusalem. So, Luke tells us what took place at Acts chapter 2 and when. Moshe, by comparison, tells us what took place in Exodus 19 and 20, but he doesn't give us the exact date. Okay, It's wrong of us, in my opinion, to put something into the text that's not there. Um, within this section of the two scriptural shavuot, let's talk about the giving of the Torah. This subsection is called Matan Torah, or the giving of the Torah. Rav Menachem Liptag challenges us, quote, Ask any observant Jew, and he will tell you that Shavuot commemorates Matan Torah, just as Pesach commemorates Yitziat Mitzrayim, departure from Egypt. Nevertheless, uh, the Rav tells us, according to Torah, it appears that Shavuot is only an agricultural holiday, with no connection at all to Matan Torah. How could it be that the Torah neglects the primary reason for Shavuot? That's lifted, if you'll see, at the footnote number 2, from uh, the website there, vbm torahorg the insights of Or Sameach International, as prepared by Rabbi G. Rubin, will help us, the students, to unravel this mystery as to why God did not tell us exactly when the giving of the Torah took place. All right, This next section, which runs, uh, spans these next two or three pages, uh, all the way through page... Let's see. All the way through page 9 of my commentary is basically a play-by-play account of the giving of the Torah with the dates filled in by the um by the rabbis uh in an effort to try and see exactly when the Torah was given. And again, this is just a um a commentary. This does not show up actually in the text where the dates are given. Some of the dates are inspired by the text, but the Torah is silent, so we have to kind of fill in the missing pieces on our own, um, assuming that the days are given consecutively. Okay, you ready? Here we go. The chain of events surrounding the giving of the Torah is very difficult to follow, because according to Rashi's understanding, the verses are not arranged chronologically, and a number of jumps must be made in order to reconstruct the sequence of events. The difficulties begin with the fifth aliyah of Yitro, or Yisro as they call it, the sequence of events surrounding Yitro himself in a separate issue, and continuing until the end of Ki, uh, Ki Tiso, or Ki Tisa. Um, the phrases there, Yisro and Ki Siso, refer to the uh, actual Torah portions. Okay, you ready? Here we go. The following outline should help the students to understand the order of events. Number one. On Rosh Chodesh, which was the beginning of the month, um, on Rosh Chodesh Sivan, the month, the Jews arrive at the wilderness of Sinai. That's uh, Exodus 19, verse 1, and you can compare that to Rashi. Number two, early the following morning, the second of Sivan, Moshe goes up to Mount Sinai for the first time. He's instructed to offer the Jews the opportunity of of accepting the Torah and of becoming a holy people. That's Exodus 19, 3-6. Number three, that same day Moshe descends and and assembles the elders and passes on the message uh, that he receives from God obviously. The entire people respond in unison that whatever Hashem says they will do. That's Exodus nineteen, seven through eight. Number four. On the morning of the third of Sivan, Moses again or Moshe again ascends the mountain to bring the people's response to Hashem. That's Exodus nineteen verse eight, according to Rashi. Number five, on this occasion, he is told that on the day of Matan Torah, Hashem will speak to him, in essence to Moshe alone, from the midst of a thick cloud. The people will bear witness to this event, and this will establish the the authenticity of Moshe's prophecy forever. And that's uh, Exodus 19, verse 9, according to Lavush Ora, but see Gur Arieh for a different understanding there. Now, number six. Let's keep going. Moshe's descent, as well as his subsequent conversation with the people, is not described in the verses, but is referred—or I'm sorry—is inferred by Rashi from Hashem's response in verse ten. You can see paragraph eight below when we get to it. The people seem to have protested against hearing Matan Torah secondhand from Moshe, and insisted on hearing it from Hashem directly. That's according to Rashi, uh, commenting on Exodus 19:19. 19, 19. Number seven, the fourth of Sivan, Moshe returns to the mountain to bring the people's request to Hashem, that they, that they want to hear from Hashem um, directly instead of from Moshe. And uh, you can see the latter half of, of Exodus 19.19. 19. Number eight, during the same encounter, where Moshe returns on the fourth of Sivan, during the same encounter, Hashem informs Moshe that if the people insist on hearing for themselves, they must purify themselves on the fourth and fifth in order to receive the Torah on the sixth Okay. In addition, Moshe is to instruct the people how close they may approach the mountain during the revelation and for how long the, re- the restriction is to last. That's uh, Exodus 19, verses 10 through 13, um, uh, according to Rashi. Number 9. This is the same in conversation with Hashem that is mentioned in Parashat Mishpatim, which is Exodus 24, 1 through 2. Um, according to Rashi and, and additional locations, where Moshe is told that he, Aharon, Nadav, Avihu, and the elders are to ascend on the day of the revelation, but that only Moshe will approach the cloud. Let's keep going. Number ten, still on the fourth of Nisa, of of Sivan. I'm sorry, that we started uh, uh, on, on point number seven. Point number ten, still on the fourth of Sivan. Moshe descends and informs the people of the command to uh, purify themselves on these days. Now, according to Rabbi Yossi, uh, Moshe interpreted days mentioned in paragraph 8 as complete de- as, I'm sorry, as two complete days in addition to the fourth, the delaying Matan Torah. Torah. I'm sorry. Let me try that again. According to Rabbi Yosi, Moshe interpreted days mentioned in paragraph 8 as two complete days in addition to the fourth, the delaying Matan Torah until the seventh of Sivan, and that's according to um, that's a look our commentary on Exodus nineteen fourteen through fifteen according to Rashi and according to the Talmud, which which Yossi has found there um, tractate Shabus, uh daf eighty seven a daf means page by the way. Okay, point number eleven. This is the same conversation with the people described in Mishpatim. Uh, which is uh, Exodus 24. In Mishpatim, when Moshe reminds the people of the seven Noachid laws and the laws received at Marah. The people agree to keep all of Hashem's commandments. Moshe writes down all of the Torah from Bereshit up until this point. Of course, that's um, from Mishpatim, Exodus 24, verses 3 and 4, according to Rashi. Point number 12. On the 5th of Sivan, Moshe builds an altar at the base of the mountain. Offerings were made, Moshe reads the book as he has written to the people, who respond, quote, "We will do and we will hear." End quote. The blood of the sacrifices is sprinkled on the altar on behalf of the people, and this is according to Exodus 24 verses 4 through 8, according to Rashi and additional locations. And you can compare that to Rashi on chapter 19 verse 11. Point number 13: On the sixth of Sivan, or the seventh, according to Rabbi Yosi, um, Moshe leads the people to the base of the mountain. We are informed parenthetically that during Matan Torah, that the people are destined to hear only two commandments directly. As for the others, Moshe will speak and Hashem will amplify his voice. And that's according to Rashi's commentary to uh, Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 16 through 19. Point number 14. Hashem reveals his throne upon the mountain and summons Moshe. Moshe is told to warn the people again not to approach the mountain. Moshe protests that the people have already been warned. Hashem tells him that he must do so nevertheless. Uh, Then he is to return to the mountain. Aharon and the firstborn, who are the priests at this point, are to approach each according to his level. That's according to Rashi's commentary of Exodus 19, verses 20-24. through Point number 15. Moshe descends and passes on the information that we just read about in point number 14. That's according to Exodus 19, verse 25. Point 16. Moshe's return to the mountain together with Aharon, Nadav, Avihu, and the elders is described in Mishpatim, chapter 24 of Exodus, verse 9. This is the ascent foretold above in paragraph 9. During Matan Torah, Nadav, Avihu, and the elders gaze inappropriately. Their punishment is postponed until another occasion in order not to detract from Matan Torah. That's according to Rashi's commentary to uh, Exodus 24, verse 10 through 11. Point 17. Matan Torah itself, the pronouncement of the ten statements that we are aware of, uh, the giving of the ten words, the Dvarim, is in Yitro, Parashat Yitro. Um, all of the ten were said in a single word. Then Hashem repeated and explained each one individually. This is according to Rashi's commentary on Exodus chapter 20, verses 1-14, through 14, which, of course, in any traditional Bible is your Ten Commandments. Point number 18. The people heard the first two explained, but then they were overwhelmed and requested that Moshe hear the rest and relay them to the people. This is according to Rashi's commentary to Exodus 20, verses 15-17, through 17, and additional locations that you can um, compare from Rashi's commentary to chapter 19, verse 19 of Exodus. Point 19. At this point, the people back off. Moshe alone enters into the thick cloud, according to Exodus 20.18, just as Hashem had said would happen. You can go back up to paragraph 5 and see that's what Hashem uh, predicted. Moshe's descent after hearing the ten statements is not described in the text. Point number twenty: After Matan Torah, Moshe is commanded to approach Hashem and to remain with him to receive the stone tablets. Moshe ascends, accompanied part by uh, partway by his disciple Yehoshua. If you recall, Aharon and Hur uh, or Her are left in charge. And that's according to um, Exodus twenty-four, verse twelve through fourteen. Point number twenty-one: At this point, six days have been mentioned, or six days are mentioned, during which the cloud is present on the mountain before Moshe is invited to enter. Rashi brings two opinions at this point. Okay, His first opinion, A, these are the previous six days, the seventh being the, the day the ten statements were pronounced, after which Moshe is invited to enter the cloud. Or B, this is Rashi's second opinion, these six days begin after Matan Torah and comprise the first six days out of the forty Remember, uh, Moshe is described as being on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And uh, this is a commentary to uh, Exodus 24, verses 15 through 18 by Rashi. Point number 22. This ascent takes place on the 7th of Sivan, according to Rashi's uh, uh, commentary to 32.1. Moshe remains on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, according to Exodus 24, verse 18. Point number 23. During these 40 days, Moshe receives the laws... Commanded at the end of Parashat Yitro and the bulk of Parashat Mishpatim, which is Exodus 20 verse 19 until chapter 23 verse 33, according to Rashi uh, on, on according to Rashi's commentary. Point number 24: the end of the 40 days is described in Kitisa, Parashat Kitisa, when he is finished speaking. That is, God is finished speaking. Hashem gives Moshe the tablets, and that's according to Exodus 31. Verse eighteen, Rashi's commentary. If you, if just as, if I can interject here at point twenty four, Rashi's commentary is available online at um, www um, what is it? Uh, oh boy, I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. I'm not sitting in front of my computer. Um, it is at the. Um, it's, oh boy. You know what? I can't remember at the moment. I, I'm sorry. When I get back to my computer, I'll tell you where that com- where you can pick up... Or you know what? You can do a Google search for Rashi's Commentary. And it's at... Um, um, is it at ou.org? No? Uh, I just can't remember. I'm sorry. I suppose I should not have mentioned it to you now. I'll, I'll let you know a little later on, okay? Let's continue. Point number 25. We're in the middle of page 8 on my commentary. Point number 25. On the sixteenth of Tammuz, the people came. I'm sorry, the people come to the mis- to the mistaken conclusion that Moshe is overdue. Remember, Moshe is up on the mountain, and they haven't heard anything from him. And here they are waiting down at the bottom of the mountain, and they don't know what's going on. And so you know what happens. You've read the story. The golden calf is made. Aharon declares a festival to Hashem for the next day. That's Rashi's commentary on chapter thirty-two of Exodus, verses one through five. Point number twenty-six. They, the people, get up early on the morning of the 17th of Tammuz to worship the calf. That's according to Rashi's commentary to thirty-two verse six, um, Exodus 32, verse 6. Whenever I just say Rashi's commentary, just know that I'm speaking of the book of Exodus. Point number 27. Hashem tells Moshe to descend from the mountain because of the calf. Moshe descends, and when he sees the calf, he casts down the tablets and he breaks them. He grinds up the calf and makes the people drink it. The Levites are ordered to kill the idolaters. That's Rashi's commentary to 32, uh, verse 7 through 29. Point number 28, on the 18th of Tammuz, Moshe ascends the mountain to seek atonement for the people, according to Rashi, and according to um, Exodus 18.13 and and Deuteronomy, uh, Devarim 19.18, although in Exodus 33.11, Rashi says that Moshe came down on the 17th of Tammuz, burnt the calf on the 18th, and went back up on the 19th. And you can see Gur Ayev for an explanation of why Rashi comes to this conclusion. Hashem tells Moshe that from now on, the glory, the Shekhinah, will not be with the people. That's um, Exodus 32, verse 31, until Exodus 33, 3. Point number 29. Moshe descends on the 29th of Av. Rashi, uh, commenting on Deuteronomy 9:18, brings this information. Um, he inform Moshe informs the people that the the glory the Shekhinah, will be not will not be with him just like God told him, and the people of course mourn that 's according to exodus thirty three verses four through six in rashi 's commentary point number thirty we are informed that from the time of the sin of the calf, Moses or Moshe has moved his tent out of the camp. you can read exodus thirty three seven through eleven There in his tent, Moshe now pleads with Hashem that the Shekhinah should go with them. And you know what? Hashem agrees. There's grace, people. Grace right there. Moshe asks to see Hashem's glory, and Hashem also agrees. Remember, he put him in the cleft of the rock, and allowed him to pass before him, and Hashem declares the Lord the Lord. And we get the 13 attributes. Uh, Moshe asks to to see Hashem's glory, and Hashem agrees. Moshe is instructed to carve two new tablets and to prepare to return to the mountain the next morning. That's Exodus 33, 12 until 34, 3. Point number 31. We're on the top of page 9, according to my um, commentary here. On Rosh Chodesh Elul, Moshe once more ascends the mountain. Rosh Chodesh, by the way, is beginning of the month of Elul. Uh, remember, we started this whole thing way back. Let me just turn real quick. We started this whole thing way back on the month of Sivan, on Rosh Chodesh Sivan. Point number one, and now we're already to Rosh Chodesh on point thirty-one. Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the month of Elul. Moshe once again ascends the mountain, according to Rashi's commentary to Exodus thirty-three eleven, and his commentary to Devarim nine eighteen. He, Moshe, is instructed in the 13 attributes of mercy, just like I mentioned, and warned that we must not make covenants with the Canaanites, but we must shatter their altars. That's um, according to Exodus 34, 4-17. Point 32. We're almost done. One more point after this. Point okay? Point 32. Rashi informs us that during this period, this third period on the mountain, the building of the tabernacle was commanded, according to Rashi. And that's Rashi's commentary to 31.18. But he does not specify at what point the building was commanded. Perhaps he would place Parshat uh, I'm sorry, Truma tetzaveh in the beginning of ki which is Exodus 25, one until 31.17, between 34.17 and 34.18. That's what Rashi perhaps would do there. Thus the discussion of what to do, to the Canaanite altars leading up to, to Exodus 34-17 would be followed by the instructions for making a tabernacle and altar for Hashem. And that's why Rashi puts them in that order. And the discussion of, Sh- of um, Shabbat in verses 31-12-17, as we normally read it now, would be followed by the discussion of the festivals, which is the usual association, uh, in 34-18-26. See the rearranging going on? All right. And let me just... Well, let me read this last one, and then I'll, um, I'll I'll give you my thoughts. Our final point in this um, in this effort to recount the days between the giving of the Torah and uh, what took place, uh, I'm sorry, the, the coming out of Egypt and the giving of the Torah, so that we can try and figure out the timing to see if it actually is. Uh, Shavuot. This last point, point number thirty-three, reads this way: quote, in verse thirty-four, seven. That's um, Exodus thirty four seven, Moshe is informed which parts of the Torah may be written down and which may not, according to Rashi. And Moshe remains on the mountain for 40 days and nights, as he did before, by the end of which Hashem has rewritten the Ten Commandments on the tablets that Moshe has carved. Remember, Moshe smashed the original ten tablets and instructed Moshe to carve a new set, of which Hashem would obviously would have to write uh, ten more words on there. And this is according to Rashi's commentary to thirty four one. He, Moshe, descends with the second tablets on Yom Kippur, his face glowing with the rays of splendor, according to Rashi uh, of chapter 34, 29 through 35. Okay, for some of you, this little trip down through the Torah, jumping back and forth between Rashi's commentary and uh, the biblical text itself can be confusing. Some of you, I know, are prone to simply... Um, assume that Rashi cannot possibly be right because what we have in the text is what God gave us. However, keep in mind that that a rearranging of biblical texts is, in fact, common. I bet many of you are are not aware that the uh, the order of the Tanakh, the books themselves, are not even in the original chronological order uh, that you have in your in your uh, English Bible versus your Hebrew Bible. There are some there's some rearranging going on. Um, if I'm to correct in understanding the, the uh, Christian arrangement of the Tanakh, the Old Testament, although it did come first, the um, Hebrew uh, rendering of the books is actually more um, chronologically accurate or thematically accurate. But it, at any rate, um, <clears throat> it should come as no surprise that we, as men, have rearranged the books. And so rearranging books and rearranging chapters is nothing new. The texts are still reliable. And so Rashi has every um, license, I should say, to make the suggestions that he's made. I'm not saying I completely agree with Rashi's um, comments there. However, <clears throat> until it can be proven otherwise, uh, or uh, to the contrary, I don't see any reason why not to give Rashi a little bit of credence there. However, uh, in the and by the way, I took all of that information, all 1 through 33 uh, points there. If you look at the footnote to number 9 there, at the, or um, footnote to number 3, Uh, That is from www.or.edu. And I just suddenly remembered where you can read Rashi's commentary. It's at the Chabad website. C-H-A-B like boy, A-D like David. Chabad. So go to Chabad.org and um, look at the menu navigation on the left. Look at Weekly Parashah. Click on that and and, uh, you can find Rashi's commentary listed there. Back to my own commentary. In the end, as far as reading all this information, in the end, I've decided to use Rav Menachem Liptag of Yeshivat Har Etzion Alon Shvut in Israel, by the way. I've decided to use... And he's one of my personal favorites. So I've decided to use his um, quote here for an answer to the question that I posed way back on page... Uh, let me take a look. What was the, where was the question? Uh, the question was, was posed way at the, beginning of, uh, the middle of page 5. And the question was... Um, How could it be that the Torah neglects the primary reason for Shavuot? That's the question, and so here's the answer. Interesting, actually, uh, Rob Liebtag is the one who um, uh, asked the question, so I'm just going to let him answer his own question. Quote, In the Torah, we find numerous mitzvot, numerous commandments, through which we commemorate Yitziat Mitzrayim, which is the, the, uh, um, the deliverance from Egypt, both on the anniversary of the Exodus, in essence, eating matzah, telling the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim, Korban Pesach, etc., and even all year round. In essence, we have Mitzvah Bikurim, bringing the first fruits to y- to uh, Yerushalayim. We have Tefillin, we have Shabbat, and we have the daily recital of Kriyat Shema, etc. All of which the Torah relates to the Exodus story. In essence, Zeher uh, le Yitz remember Mitzrayim. Remember the deliverance from Egypt, what that phrase there, zakher layitziyat mitzrayim. All of these festivals, or all of these, uh, not festivals, all of these um, um, uh, occurrences or, or uh, details or uh, uh, events commemorate the deliverance from Egypt. In contrast, the Torah's approach to Ma'amar Har Sinai is totally different. Nowhere in Chumash, nowhere in the five books, do we find a specific commandment whose purpose is to commemorate the event of the giving of the Torah at Sinai. Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, does require that we not forget the events that transpired at Hadar Sinai. You can see Exodus 4 verses, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 4 verse 9 through 16. But Rav goes on to say that requirement is related to the prohibition to make any image of God. Because if you remember, God says, "Um, When I spoke to you on the mountain, you didn't see any image, you just heard a voice. You can see, Hasagot HaRamban, to say for Hamitzvot of of the Rambam, Taase number two. Uh, That's the information that Rav uh, Liebtah is providing for us. Furthermore, Rav Liebtah goes on to say, the Torah does not even tell us the precise day on which Matan Torah took place. That's my point exactly. While the precise day and even the time of day of the Exodus is mentioned numerous times, Humash never reveals the precise day on which Matan Torah took place. We are only informed that Beni Israel arrived at Har Sinai in the third month. And let's look at the uh, verse there. Quote: This is a quote from uh, Exodus 19:1. In the third month, on Bnei Israel's departure from the land of Egypt, on this day they came to meet the Bar Sinai. Now that phrase, "on this day," um, by Yom Hazeh, uh, we're going to look at that a little later on in my commentary. Not only is the phrase "on this day" ambiguous because it says "on this day," I mean, on what day? it's quite difficult to determine how many days actually transpire between their arrival at Har Sinai and Matan Torah. And you can reference Exodus 19:3 through 16 as well as um, the Babylonian Talmud at the tractate Shabbat Daf 86b. Thus, even if we assume, according to Rashi... Uh, His comment to to Exodus 19.1 on the Hebrew phrase by Yom uh, on this day. Thus, even if we assume that B'nai Israel arrived on the first day of the month, the lack of a clear chronology in the subsequent events still makes it impossible to pinpoint the date. So, he asks the question again. Why does the Torah purposefully obscure the date of Matan Torah? Why does, the purpose, why does the Torah not give us the date of the giving of the Torah? Why does it not leave us with any specific mitzvah to commemorate that event? Now he's going to give us his answer. The Torah's impl- And I actually like his answer, okay? You ready for it? The Torah's implicit message may be that Matan Torah is not an historically bound event. Every day we must feel as though the Torah was given today. This concept is reflected in the Midrash, and he's going to quote the Midrash uh, as quoted by Rashi to Exodus 19.1, okay? This is where we get to see um, by Yom Hazeh. You ready? Here we go. Quote, this is the Midrash. Quote, It should have been written on that day. Why does the Pasuk say on this day? This comes to teach us that the words of the Torah should be considered new to you as though they were given today, end quote. All right? Um, Rabbah, Rav uh, Libtag's final comment, Every generation must feel that it has entered into a covenant with God. See uh, Deuteronomy 5, verses 1-3. through 3. Every generation must feel that God's words were spoken to them no less than to earlier generations. To celebrate the anniversary of Matan Torah as a single moment in our history would diminish from that meta-historical dimension. End quote. Footnote number four shows that I took uh, Rav Liptag's comments from www.vbm-torah.org as commentary to Shavuot. And with that, we're at the um, near the bottom of page 10. It's about 30 min- minutes into this part uh, B. We'll call this the end of part B. And uh, stay with us when we return at the beginning of part C to our commentary to Shavuot. We will talk about the second significant Shavuot in scripture. We just now talked about the first one, which is found in Exodus. We're saying it's Shavuot um, by assumption. But we're going to turn now to a discussion of Acts chapter 2 and look at the details of the giving of the Spirit as he was poured out then. Okay, Stay with us.